Well, just let me begin by saying good morning and welcome again. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online right now, either in our traditional sanctuary or somewhere else more remote. I'm really glad that you're here. You're on a journey together with all of us. We as a church family have been on a journey together this fall and all this year called According to Luke. We are reading one of the biographies of Jesus, the life story of Jesus, according to his biographer and author named Luke. And we're learning the life story of Jesus, to see the love of God embodied for us in Jesus, and to know what sort of life is it. When Jesus says, come follow me, what life are we being invited into? We're going to be reading about that today, as we always do. If you have a Bible with you or a phone or tablet with a Bible app, you can kind of cue that up. We're going to be there in a few minutes. Our ushers are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Uh, please borrow one from them. If you don't have one, you can put it on the shelf in the back of both of our worship venues today after the service. We're going to be reading uh, in Luke chapter 6, if you want to kind of get a head start, and I'll give you page numbers on that in our Quest Bibles in just a few minutes when we get there. You know, we've been doing this journey together called According to Luke, but for the last few weeks, we kind of paused over a topic on the Holy Spirit, on the spiritual life. We pressed pause for a minute because as we were reading along in the gospel about Jesus, according to Luke, we saw that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit all the time. And Luke, his biographer, kept saying the Spirit was doing this and the Spirit was at work in Jesus. And we paused for a little while for a few weeks to say, what is that? Who or what is the Holy Spirit? What does that mean to our lives? And now that we've finished that, you can forget all about that, nothing about the Spirit anymore. <laughs> no, right? Right? So we want to learn from that and keep going forward. And as we continue to learn the life of Jesus and his invitation to our lives, to continue to be, have our, the ears of our hearts open, to be sensitive to, what is the living Jesus doing in my life? How is God calling me forward? And, and how is the Spirit empowering me to live the life that Jesus has come to give me and call me into? And today, in particular, we're going to encounter a new scene in Jesus' life, a new episode of teaching about something called Sabbath. Maybe you've never heard the word Sabbath before. Maybe you have. The word Sabbath basically means a day of rest every seven days, right? We asked at the beginning of this service in this venue, what is it that feels restful to you? We're going to talk about this day of rest, and we're going to hear Jesus say in this passage that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to try to understand what that means for us. Let me start by telling you something about my own experience of Sabbath. We actually taught a, a series on Sabbath a few years ago, right about this time of year in 2014. One of the things I told you three years ago, some of you may remember this, was that my early life experiences with Sabbath were kind of universally negative. <laughs> I, I didn't really understand what it meant. I had a friend whose family did this, and I just thought it looked like the most boring thing in the world, right? I mean, I think I was like middle school, high school maybe, and I was a teenager, and I thought a whole day of doing nothing every week. That's awesome. Why would I want to do that? And I think there might even have been a little bit of legalism in the way that they did it, so it just seemed like this big, boring burden, and I, I wasn't interested in that. And I had heard this passage, I had heard this, that we're going to learn from the day. I had heard Jesus say that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and some other things we're going to learn about. And so I, I think, I don't know if anybody told me this or explained this to me, but the way that I understood it was Jesus came and he was Lord of the Sabbath, so the Sabbath is over. That was like some old thing. That was like a boring thing, a burden thing, a law thing. That was something God made people do a long time ago. But Jesus came and set us free. And so now I am free to live at whatever destructive pace of life I want to. Right? I have learned that I was wrong. I was wrong. 
I was wrong biblically, right? I misunderstood that. I didn't understand it right. I've learned to read the Bible better. Have you ever read anything in the Bible and figured out you were wrong later? Have you ever been wrong, right? I have been wrong. I was wrong about this, and I want to share that with you a little bit this morning. I was wrong biblically, and I was wrong in life, right? It's not that God set me free to live at whatever destructive pace I wanted to live. That's not what God wants for us. And to be perfectly candid with you right now, the practice of Sabbath in my life right now, how can I put this delicately? I stink at this. Right? I'm doing a bad job at this right now in my life. And I imagine I'm probably not the only one. I imagine there are others of us who probably are also living life at the destructive pace that we think we have been set free to live life. We are running hard, and then the next week we're running a little bit harder, and then the next year we run a little bit faster, and we just keep going harder and harder and faster and faster without ever having a break. Right? Now, I used to be a runner. Right? Sometimes I think I might be a runner again, <laughs> depending on if my knees and my hamstrings ever learn to cooperate. But when I am training as a runner, I've found that it's okay to go hard. Right? It's good to go hard. It's good to run fast. It's good to train hard, but not forever, not continuously, not without a break, not all day, every day, not every day. You got to have a break, right? If you're Forrest Gump, you can run across the country without ever stopping. <laughs> But if you're any normal human being, you need a break, right? In fact, physically speaking, physiologically speaking, it's not the training that builds you up. The training, running, weightlifting, whatever it is that you do, tears you down. It's during the rest time that your body builds back up stronger for the next exertion. But somehow we've come to believe that we can just go hard all the time without ever having any rest time. We think that we can just tear down, tear down, tear down without any build back up again, and that'll be okay for us. But that's destructive, right? Yet we keep trying to do it. Like if we just try it harder, maybe it'll work. So I know that I need this. I think a lot of us need this. In fact, I sat down this last week with, uh, for another purpose with a couple groups of retirees in our congregation. Some people in one of these groups were more than twice my age, okay? With every passing year, that gets harder and harder to accomplish. <laughs> you've got to, these days, you've got to earn that distinction, okay? I was sitting down with a group of retirees, and I asked them about their pace of life, about how full their lives were. And they said to me, you know what? Our lives are full. We are not looking for more stuff to do, right? And I, I had another friend years ago who was approaching retirement age and said that he had a friend who had retired. And that friend was so busy after retirement with everything they were doing, he said, I don't think I can afford, I, I am too busy to retire. I can't afford that kind of investment, right? So I'm thinking that for those of us at any stage of life, some of us who are in our working years or any other stage, if you are thinking that this is all just gonna slow down automatically someday, I'm gonna discover a healthy, restful rhythm of life without any intentionality, it'll just get better sometime in the future. I think we're kidding ourselves. I think we're fooling ourselves. So I stink at this. <laughs> I think at least some of you need help with this too. And so what I want to do is just open up the teaching of Jesus on this together, sit in front of it together, and see if there's something that we can learn and put into practice in our lives. So I want to ask you to open up your Bibles with me. We're going to read in Luke chapter 6 together. That's where we're going to start. The Gospel of Luke chapter 6, page 1509, is where we're going to begin, uh, starting in Luke chapter 6, verse 1. This is still pretty early in Jesus' career, pretty early in his teaching, but he had developed a little bit of a reputation already, and we're going to encounter that here in this passage. So let me read this to you, and you follow along with me. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1. 
One Sabbath day, this was Saturday in the Jewish world, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees, apparently there were Pharisees nearby who were familiar with this. They had seen Jesus and his followers doing this. Why are you doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath? Right? This was one of the rules they had put in place. If the Sabbath is meant for no work and rest, then you can't do the work of rubbing grain in your hands if you're hungry. That was one of the things they'd put in place. Jesus answered them, haven't you ever read what David, great king of Israel a thousand years earlier, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So Jesus cites this precedent, this example. And then he said to them, the son of man, that's a reference to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. So I can interpret the Sabbath. I can tell you what this is about. On another Sabbath, Luke kind of groups a couple of events here together for us. He went into a synagogue, and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They, he already had a reputation, and they were opposed to him. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. According to many teachers, that wouldn't be allowed. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand, get up and stand in front of everyone, which is probably a high-pressure situation for this guy, right? So he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, to all the crowd, to the teachers who were opposing him, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he looked around at all of them, and apparently they had no answer. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. They're furious about this good work and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, I think that event, that story, actually tells us a lot of things about Jesus. But today, I want to focus in on this question of Sabbath and see what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not calling for an end to Sabbath. He wasn't rejecting their Sabbath practice. He was teaching them how to practice the Sabbath correctly. What's the right way to do Sabbath, right? One of the ways that we know that Jesus wasn't, wasn't rejecting Sabbath is that this question that he asks, which is lawful, should we do good or should we do evil, should we save life or destroy it, is actually a question that we have in other historical documents. Other Jewish rabbis asked similar questions with no implication that they were rejecting the Sabbath. Jesus was using his authority as a teacher, as the Lord of the Sabbath, to say, what's the right way to do this? What's the correct way to practice Sabbath? He was calling them back to the original purpose for this instead of all the stuff they'd layered up on top of it. In another context, Jesus says this another way. He got in trouble for this kind of thing a lot of times. In another place, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Or in a more contemporary translation, you can look up here on the screen in Mark chapter 2, another biography of Jesus, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to be a gift to people. God wants something for us, and this is part of what he wants for us. Jesus was calling people back to the purpose of the Sabbath. So if Jesus is calling us back to the purpose of the Sabbath, let's go back together and read way back in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments what God said about the Sabbath. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app open right now, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you're turning pages, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the, of the Bible, of the Old Testament. We're going to be on page 254 in these Quest Bibles. We're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 
through 15. This is actually one of two places in the Old Testament where you can find the Ten Commandments. One is in Exodus, and one is right here. I'm going to set a little context for you in a minute. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. God said through the prophet Moses to his people, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That means different or set apart for God. Keep it different, set apart for God. Keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. It's okay to labor. It's okay to work hard. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. All right, let's capture three ideas out of that passage, okay? Three ideas. The first one is rest. The second one is rest for everyone. And the third one is remember you were slaves in Egypt. That's what God said to them. Let's go over those quickly, all right? The first one is probably the easiest one, most straightforward, a day of a rest. A, a day of rest that is holy to the Lord your God, that's set apart for God, that's meant to orient you in relationship with God, a day of rest. Now, this doesn't mean piling up lots and lots of laws necessarily about having to be real intricate and legalistic about this is rest and this is not, and you can't rub grains in your hands and rub the kernel off and find the, find the kernel in the middle or whatever it is, but, but a day of rest to orient you in your relationship to God. You're not meant to run at a breakneck speed forever and ever without ever having a break. The second one is a day of rest for everyone, Right? And the commandment goes through a whole list of people, not just you, but your whole family, your son, your daughter, people who work for you, if you have employees or staff or anybody who serves you, and not only other people, and not only people who like you, foreigners who reside in your towns, so everybody, and not only all the people, but even animals, your ox and your donkey are supposed to get to rest, right? God means this to be for everyone. And I think on the one hand, this is a realistic realization that the practice of Sabbath happens better in community. It's harder to do this alone. And I've observed this when I traveled in Israel and seen how a whole country or society kind of shuts down for a day, and that makes it a whole lot easier to stop doing the things you might have done otherwise. It, it works better in community. If you live as part of a family, it's going to work a lot better to do it together than to try to be the only one who does it. It's meant for everyone. But I think also, and I think this is the context of the passage, it's meant to be a, a concern of compassion and justice. So I don't just want something good for you. This is not your special privilege. It's not meant for everybody else. But God's heart is for the whole world. God's heart is for everybody. So it's not like you get to say, I'm going to put my feet up today while other people wait on me and shift the burden of your responsibilities onto somebody else. It's meant to be for everybody. Which also segues into that last thing. Rest, rest for everyone, and then remember you were slaves in Egypt. So the context of the story here when this commandment is given is that God has just, his, his people Israel had been slaves in Egypt as a people for hundreds of years. It's all, it's all any of them really knew about life. And God had just rescued them from Egypt. And while they were in slavery, they had, they had a boss. They had a king. His name was the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. And the Pharaoh was God in Egypt. And that's not just a metaphor for how powerful he was. That's like, really, they really believed that he was divine. He was God. 
and the god Pharaoh in Egypt cracked the whip over them, right? Both literally and metaphorically. More, more, more. All the time, more, more. More bricks, more building, more labor. The only thing there wasn't more of was rest or break or health or sanity. Less of that, no relationship, no rest, no other God, no rhythm of life. More, 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 more. And then God rescued them through the leadership of Moses. God rescued them, it says in the passage, with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand and brought the people of Israel to be his people, to worship him, to know that the Lord was their God and not this Pharaoh. And now the people would live a new life and be in relationship with God. And what kind of God is this? What is the character of this God? What, what does the Lord God want for them? What is this God like? God gives them a law to reveal to them that he's different and that their lives will not be different. And for one thing, I want you to have this rhythm of life that will remind you for your entire lives, every seven days, you will remember what I want for you. A day of rest, a day of rest of compassion and justice for everyone, and remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So it's going to remind you to be compassionate because you used to do everyone else's bidding. You were the ones who were taken advantage of. Don't you do it to anybody else. And this is the life that I want for you. So let's, let's think about this together for a second. Right? Let's think about our own lives. Let's imagine that we're traveling down a road, a path of life that God wants for us. And we'll characterize part of it as the gift of Sabbath, right? And the gift of Sabbath would mean for us a, a healthy rhythm of life with rest for us that orients us in relationship toward God, that nurtures relationship with family and community, and is a blessing for the whole society that we live in. That, that would be the goal. A rhythm of life that orients us toward God, nurtures relationship with family and community, and is a blessing to society as a whole. Now, that's the road we're walking down. Right? That's the road that God wants for us. And as I see it, let's think about it this way. There are two ditches that we could fall off the road into, okay? Let me step over into this ditch for a second. Over, into, over this ditch, this is the legalism ditch. This is the legalistic Sabbath observance ditch. The Pharisees were over here in this ditch, right? Intricate rules of Sabbath observance. So you would know at any moment whether you were jumping high enough over the bar and meeting the requirements. Legalisms, so much so that if anybody asked you for help on the Sabbath day, you would not lift a finger to help them lest you would break one of these many intricate regulations to preserve the law. How many of you seriously believe you're in this ditch. Do you think this is a problem that we face over here? You may be here. I don't know everybody. You may be here. I don't think most of us are here. Cross the road into this ditch. How about over here? No Sabbath at all. No rhythm of rest. No rhythm of life that orients us regularly in relationship with God, that nurtures time and space for relationship with family and community, and is experienced as a blessing to the rest of society around us. Anybody over here in this ditch with me? I'm way down in this ditch. <laughs> I tripped and fell headlong. When I got here, I found a shovel and I started digging it deeper in this ditch <laughs> over here. Right. So what do we have to do to get back over here up onto the road? Well, let me, let me suggest a few practical things, two things, really two things. The first thing I think we have to do is start with why. Why are we over in this ditch in the first place? What causes us to veer off the road and fall over here? Why? I think probably at the root of it, I think there's a faith question. There's a what do we believe and whom do we trust question. 
Do we really believe that life up here with a rhythm, a regular rhythm of rest that orients us in relationship with God, nurtures relationship with family and community, and is a blessing to society, do we actually believe that that would be a better way to live than more, 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 more? Like, I think we agree with it when I'm saying it. I think it makes sense. But I wonder in our hearts, in our emotions, in our will, if we actually trust it. And if we don't, and I think a lot of us don't actually believe this would be better, I think one reason might be how rarely we've seen it, how rarely we actually have had anybody role model this for us, how rarely we have good examples of practicing this. And maybe you've had one, maybe you've had a few that you've seen somebody do this really well and it's inspiring. But as much as we see this modeled or hear this word of God, There are other words that we hear a thousand times more often every day that say to us, your life will be fuller if only into it you would cram more, 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 more. And that message we hear all the time. And this message we hear and we see probably a lot less frequently. Let me me be real practical with you. Some of you aren't in the same station or circumstances of life that I'm in, but let me use my example. One of the challenges that I know we face in our family life, and some of you, maybe our parents have have been parents, want to be parents, or no parents, and you could support them. If that's you in any way, I think one one of the challenges that we face is the constant demand for more activities and things on the schedule, not only for mom and dad, but also for the kids. More sports, more activities, more, more, more more and more. And we want what's best for our families, we want what's best for our kids, and we try to expose them to lots of stuff and lots of things that will be fun and exciting and developing. But I think at some point, parents or those of you who would support them or maybe be them sometime, I think we have to ask ourselves, what's actually best for our next generation? What's actually best for our own kids? What's best for the kids of our church? What's, what's actually going to help them live the lives that God wants for them? More activities, one more thing to be in, five more things to be in, or a healthy rhythm of life with rest that orients us toward God, makes space for relationship with family and community, and is experienced as a blessing to all of society. Man, I know the answer to that question for for our family. I just got to believe it and start to make the decisions that put it into practice. Why? The first thing is to ask yourself why. And then I think the second thing is fight for it. We gotta fight for it. We gotta try to take it back, make the decision, say this actually matters and I'm willing to battle for it. Ask if you live alone, figure this out yourself, talk to friends about it. If you live with somebody, if you're married, you're part of a family, have this conversation together. Say what needs to be rearranged? What has to move? What has to give? What just has to stop? What do we have to opt out of? What has to happen in our lives to, to carve some space back, if, if you're down here in this ditch, to take that step and that step and that step back to the middle into the life that God wants for us. And let me make a practical suggestion. Don't only focus on the no, right? Don't just focus on what you're not going to do. Because frankly, I think that might take me back to where I was early in my life, which is just a big, boring, burdened bummer of like what I don't get to do anymore. A whole day of staring at the wall watching paint dry, right? Rather, what is going to happen during this time? Now, there's a danger here that you'll just reprogram it and make it all active again, right? But you're not going to stop living during this period of time, right? You will do something. What will fill that time that's restorative and restful? 
that orients us toward God and nurtures space and relationship with family and community and is a blessing to others. I mean, a meal together with family or with friends or some quiet time when the noise gets turned down, some reading, talking to one another. What happened in your week last week? What, what are you looking forward to this week? How are you feeling about what's coming up this week? Maybe take a walk, get outside for a little bit, a non-burdensome hobby that you like to engage in. Like what, what would be... What would be salivating about that day? What would be something positive that you'd want out of that? I want to I just ask you this by way of kind of bringing this together. As we've read what Jesus said about Luke 6, in Luke 6, as we read the commandment in Deuteronomy 5, as we've come to reflect together on what is it that God actually wants for us? What is God like? I want to ask you, as you were, we were reading, as you were thinking, what, what is the Spirit of God whispering to your heart about this? Is there some nudge that God is giving you, some next step? You're like, yeah, that part is me. That's what I misunderstood. I got that wrong like Steve did. I'm a lot smarter than Steve. I got that part right. You know, what's, what's the part that you've got there? I think the living Jesus is still coming to people today like he did 2,000 years ago and saying, hey, come follow me. Come follow me in the way of life. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And each one of us gets met by Jesus in a different place. We have a different next step to take, but we've all got one. What's the next step that Jesus is inviting you to take when he says, follow me? I want you to make that your assignment for this week. Share that with somebody, with a friend or family member who can maybe hold you accountable. They don't get to control you, make a law over your life, but a little bit of accountability that you can come back to and take one step out of that ditch over here onto this road. Ultimately, I think the question really isn't just about time management. I think the question is, who's your master? Who is the Lord of your Sabbath? And for a lot of us, we're, we're suffering because the Lord of our Sabbath is the Pharaoh of our lives. It's whatever force is cracking the whip over you going more, 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 more. And they've got our ear and they've got our attention and to a large degree, our obedience. And maybe it's your boss at work your bank account, the expectations of other people, your basketball, hockey, dance, gymnastics coach, somebody like that, something that's saying more. Or is the master, is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord Jesus himself, the, the, the living God who made you and knows you and loves you and wants what's best for you? The good news that we encounter in the story of Jesus' life is that indeed it's Jesus who's Lord. It's Jesus who's Lord, and not any other force that steals life from us, but Jesus who came to give us life. And that's good. That's good news. Let's pray for that to take root in our hearts. Father in heaven, good and gracious God who comes to us by your spirit, I pray that you would work in us. Refresh us by your presence. Lead us forward in you. We thank you that you care about us and that you are different and you want what's good for us. And I pray that you would empower us kindle faith in our hearts, kindle obedience in our lives, tune our ears to hear your invitation, your challenge, your beckoning. Come, follow me, and strengthen us to take our next step with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.